weeks ago, we talked about uh, a few things that, that we said you should be monitoring while you're under lockdown living. You remember, do you remember what those are? I hope it's starting to become uh, th- that, that reminder's there. The things that you need to monitor, number one, would be your relationships. Monitor your relationships. Make sure that you're still connecting with people, whether that's over the phone or, or via text, or making sure you're staying uh, connected to others. Maybe it's through, um, through our groups, that, uh, our group services that happen here on, uh, throughout the week. Uh, that, that you stay connected. Uh, and then we also said to monitor what's uh, going into your life. Do you know that you're filtering out what's true and what's not true in, in these days and age? It's important that you filter that. And then finally, that you'd filter what's coming out of your life or monitor what's coming out of your life because it's coming from your heart. You know, the words you say and how you say them, it says a lot about what's going on inside, that we would be seekers of truth and speakers of truth and speaking in, in his love. Uh, and then a couple of weeks ago, we started a series called Here I Stand. A number of people that had asked, you know, where, where do we stand as a church on rights and freedoms? And when are we going to stand up to the government? When are we going to stand up to tell them, you know, what we really feel and what we really think? And it really got me thinking, and I think it's important for each of us to spend some time thinking about that. Where do we stand? In week one, we encourage you, you know, if you're going to stand somewhere, it's probably a good idea to, t- to stand in someone else's shoes for a bit. To see if they're angry at you, find out where's that anger coming from and what's it like to be in their shoes. And then uh, last week, we talked about the idea of what, what, what about if you're the one who's angry? And we encourage you, take a stand, but be good and angry. Meaning that when you're angry, yeah, and you are going to get angry about things, that you would, you would uh, remain good while you're angry. Or let that anger motivate you to great things. I had a chance to listen to a guy named Wayne Barber. For those who are uh, familiar with the Precept Ministries, you're familiar with uh, Brother Wayne. He's uh, with Jesus tonight, but uh, his words live on through technology. And, and I had a chance to listen to some of the things he had said. And he was talking about anger as well. And he just, he made this one point that I thought would be just so great for, uh, for us, uh, those who listened last week, to just, uh, just file it away with the rest of the, the, the truth from last week. He, he talked about the difference between righteous anger and selfish anger, which we talked about last week. But he, he simply said it this way. Selfish anger will always be anger at a person. Righteous anger will always be anger about a cause. Selfish anger will always be anger at a person. Righteous anger will always be anger at a cause. And so if you're trying to wrestle with some of the anger inside, hopefully that'll be one tip that helps you figure that out. And so to, uh, today in part three, I just simply want to call today, Light the Wick. Today's talk is simply called Light the Wick. Here I stand, light the wick. You know, there's a saying that says, when it gets darker, the light shines brighter. Anybody heard that? When it gets darker, the light shines brighter. And I began to think about that. And I wondered, is that always the case? Because I've been in places where it was dark and there was light and the light didn't shine bright. Maybe it shone brighter, but it didn't shine bright enough. I remember years ago, I've told this story before, but years ago on a fishing trip up in Elk Lake and a number of us had decided we were going to go and find a new way down to the, uh, to, the, to the lake where we were fishing. And it didn't go very well. I mean, the, the, the short story of it is that we ended up uh, after dark in, a, in an unknown lake with just five guys and, uh, and a boat and no supplies. And it was getting cold. We were wet. And there's these other two guys who were going to meet us down there with all the supplies, but they couldn't find the place. And so they're driving around. And, and uh, all of a sudden, as we're in the middle of this 
this uh, lake, we see their headlights driving through the hills and they park up on the hill and their lights are shining, you know, above the lake. And we're down in the middle of the lake and we turn on our little headlamps and we start screaming and we can hear these two guys talking. Hey, you know, you see anything? I don't see anything. We're like, we're right here. And like, ah, I don't hear anything. And the truck was running so they couldn't hear us. And we're shining our little lights like there's no tomorrow and thinking that there might not be tomorrow if they don't see our lights. And then they just drove off. You know, we found out the next day they, they never did see our lights. We uh, broke into a cabin and we lived, obviously. But at that night, I realized, you know, sometimes the light isn't enough. The light's not bright enough. I remember years ago, I was driving a van. This was before I was married, driving a van home from Saskatchewan to Ontario. And it, it was uh, in the winter and it was like blizzards. Like, we just don't have any more. The, the, the snow was like knee deep on the, uh, on the highway as we were driving. And, and I had always known, when, when you're in, in storms, follow a truck. Because they, they're safer. They know what they're doing. They've got their CB radios. And so I was following this tanker truck. And as I was driving, I just watched the tanker truck lights go like this. And I was like, wait a second, he just went in the, in the ditch. I'm like, I can't follow him. And I thought, man, I can't just park here in the middle of the, of the highway. And fortunately, I was, I was right at an exit. And so as I slowly pulled off the exit, I can't see a thing. Uh, all of a sudden, I see this little, little light, but it's high up in the air. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. But I kept following along uh, the, little, the little markers along the, the off-ramp, and it just turned onto this uh, road. And, and immediately there, I could see it, this light above the trees. And slowly drove up there, uh, drove down their driveway, and, and got out, knocked on the door. And the guy answers it, the scruffy guy. He's like, hey, honey, we got another one. I'm like, another one? And there was a bunch of us that spent the night on this guy's floor because we had all been stranded in a snowstorm. But I was so glad that I could actually see that light. And, and you know, as I've been preparing for tonight, I just realized life, life itself is getting a lot darker for a lot of people. I don't know if you've noticed. Maybe people you're talking to, maybe people you see in the grocery store, the guys at work. Life just seems to be getting a lot darker for a lot of people. You know, marriage is in trouble. Like, I know, I know there's always marriages in trouble. I don't have the stats on it, but I have the phone calls. You know, people that I've been speaking with over the last number of weeks whose, whose marriages are just in a bad spot. Some are on the brink of divorce. Some have already called it quits. Some are like, you know what, we're not there yet, but we, we want help now. And just realizing, you know, with all the stress that's on people's lives right now, you get a stressed out husband and a stressed out wife, and then you lock them in a house together. You get them at their worst and put them together. It's like Royal Rumble, right? It's like uh, this, this amount of stress that's, that's causing a lot of difficulty. You know, for some, they're saying, man, it's like so hard to even get to see a marriage counselor. But I, I would encourage you, if, if you find yourself in a difficult place in your marriage, reach out for some, to someone. Reach out for help to a marriage counselor or even myself. We're here for you. But I, I know the darkness. You know, and then for mental health, <laughs> I was uh, talking with somebody this past week, and they just said, you know, winter's typically, it, it's, it's already difficult for me. And now with all of this going on, it's just even that much more difficult. I talked to another guy, and he said, you know, uh, the first time we had a lockdown, the first, you know, three months, he's like, yeah, it was fine. He says, this lockdown, he's like, by day three, I, I, mean, I can feel the heaviness in my life. And these are Jesus followers we're talking about. I wonder about those who aren't. You know, as I do read the stats, you know, the mental health stats for teens and children are just going through the roof. 
There was a video posted on YouTube, and maybe you've seen it. It's, uh, it's called Numb. It's by a, a girl named Liv McNeil. She's in grade nine, and she, her, her project was to show what it feels like to be a student right now going through the lockdown. It's an, it's an incredible just time lapse of days uh, of what it feels like to be, to be her. And really, it's, heart, it, it's heartbreaking to watch. You know, as I look at the stats of the, the Youth Service Bureau of, of Ottawa, they just recently posted some of their statistics uh, in, in a January 20th study. So it's just a few days ago. And they said that the, the, the increase of calls to their facility have been 30 to 40% higher for the same time frame as last year. 30 to 40% higher. But then they said this, which was really troubling. They said the calls regarding suicide or loved ones who are th- considering suicide is way higher. And they said, and the problem is with a lockdown, it's also way more difficult to offer help where it's needed. I thought, man, you know, the kid's help phone, kid's help phone in the same, in the same study, same article just said they, they've experienced double the phone calls, double the, the, the amount of children reaching out to them in the, from the same time last year. That's a hundred percent increase. And also saying it's more difficult to offer the help uh, that's needed, but they're there for them to the best of their ability. It's dark. It's dark. You know, financially, it's dark. It's getting darker for a lot more people. You know, uh, I know in our county and stuff, we seem to have, you know, most people seem to be still doing okay. Most of them still able to work or many of them. And it seems like they're plugging along. But I don't know about you, but let's listen to the radio. And I'm like, man, more and more of the ads on the radio are all about bankruptcy, you know, credit consolidation, debt management. And I see, you know, things popping up on Facebook for debt forgiveness and thinking, wow, this is, you know, how, how bad is it? And then I saw this study that they just, in, in December, they said that in Canada, the household to, uh, debt to income ratio right now is at 177%. What does that mean? That means for every dollar that a Canadian owns right now, they owe $1.77. And that's before Christmas this year. And that is the average, which means there's some that are way higher than that. And that's not sustainable for long. It feels dark. You know, morally, I think around us, there's a darkness that's it's just getting darker morally as well. And, and, and I wonder if, you, if you're aware of this, but it, to me, it feels like this great magic trick that's happening right now. You know, I have a friend who's a magician. He's excellent with sleight of hand and he's excellent with card tricks. But I would always ask him, tell me how you do it. Tell me how it works. And he says, he said, Mark, the, the main trick, he said, I'm not going to tell you all the tricks, but he says, but the main trick in a magic trick is that I have you watching one thing while I'm doing something else. I have you watching one thing while I'm doing something else. What's our whole country been watching all year long? <laughs> I know it almost feels like a swear word. COVID. Watching this one thing for 10, 12 months, having very little idea of what else is going on in our nation. What else is going on in our nation? Can can I tell you that the things that concern me that are going on in our nation would be some of the bills that are being passed quickly. Among all the, the other darkness I've just mentioned, there's different bills being um, passed, rushed through uh, our parliament. Bill C-6, maybe you've heard of it. It, is one, it has one final reading before it, it's passed. And it's, it deals with forced conversion therapy, which as a, as a Jesus follower, I'm against anything that forces another person to do anything. I think the, the essence of that bill is, is a good thing. 
But the wording of it is so vague and they've adjusted it into into ways that it will make it criminal for anyone to offer support to someone who feels same-sex attracted or who has uh, gender dysphoria or confusion. You won't be allowed to offer support for that anymore based on the wording of this bill. What does that mean? It, It means that friends of mine, people that I know, who were same-sex attracted, who, who, the truth is not everyone who has those feelings or has those, those questions actually wants to live that lifestyle. But what's going to happen as a result of this bill passing, it'll make it criminal for people to offer support to those very people who may want that support for themselves. The wording is so vague that parents could be criminalized for it. It depends on how a judge wants to read into that. And to me, that's, that's scary. And so I'd encourage you, you know, to, to consider some of, those, some of those things that are happening outside of COVID. Do, maybe, I don't know if you're aware of Bill C-7, which has already passed, but it's, it's kind of in this uh, hiatus stage before the, the senators to find out if the wording of this bill can be adjusted at all, because it's the, it's the bill that uh, helps with the medical uh, assistance in dying. And what are they changing? It's, not, it's no longer just for terminally ill people like it once was. If somebody's not terminally ill, they can still choose to, to have medically assisted death. It waives the 10-day waiting period for somebody who says, hey, I'd like, you know, this is what I want, and doesn't give them the, the opportunity or, or the ability to reconsider. The responsibility to give consent is also being waived in this new bill, and the need for two witnesses to be present so that one person can't make a decision for another person without, without having witnesses, that's also being waived. It just makes it a whole lot easier for a lot of Canadians to end their lives. That, that's, that's troubling for me. There's, there's a darkness. You know, as we see south of the border, as, you know, the new president in his first day goes against, uh, begins to, to try and reverse the, the laws surrounding abortion in their country. There's, there's just a lot of darkness. Spiritually, as I talk to people, I hear the same things, you know, that for many, not being able to connect with their church, not being able to stay connected to faith, it feels diff- difficult. And they describe it as like the, the embers of not, you know, not being able to be close to the fire. The embers that are feeling distance, they struggle to stay lit. And, and for some, you know, as, and maybe like, maybe like myself, sometimes the darkness just makes you angry. And I want to remind you, like we mentioned last week, that let that great anger lead you to great good. Let it lead you to great good. Where, where do we stand as a Canadian? You know, as a Canadian, if you're passionate about these things, as a Canadian, stand up for what you believe in. You know, write to the MPs, send emails, make some phone calls, uh, stand up for the things that matter to you. That's what it is about being a Canadian, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. As a Jesus follower, I feel like there's also more to it than just that, and that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at a little bit more at the good that we talked about last week. You know, as I was preparing for this, this message, I was reminded of a story from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, if you don't know, it's, it's the Jewish Bible. It's the Jewish scriptures. It was written to the Jewish people. It wasn't written to people like you and, and me who aren't Jewish, but it was written for us. It's written for inspiration for us. And as I read this story, I saw, I saw in Numbers, you can turn, turn your Bible there to Numbers 16. Uh, it tells the story of the nation of Israel. And in the nation of Israel, they had this cycle that they would follow God and then it would be good for them. And then they would walk away from God and it would get bad for them. And they would, 
They would rebel against their leaders and against God, and, and then they would go through these terrible times, and then they'd come back to him. Well, this is one of those times where they had rebelled against Moses, they had rebelled against God, and as a result of their disobedience and their presumption, they, they went against a guardrail that God had set up for them. God had said, the, the presence around the tabernacle is holy. People can't come too close, or, or, or they will be struck with a plague. And they just pushed past all that. They were angry, they were grumpy, they went and said, we're going to do it anyways. And just as God promised, there was this deadly plague moving through the people. And, 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 and uh, it wasn't just like, you know, this asymptomatic thing. These, these people were literally dropping dead. Uh, they could visually see it. It was all happening in real time. And there's Moses and Aaron, the two leaders of Israel, are standing by the tabernacle of meeting, the, the place where people met with God. And they're watching it happen. And, they, they're, and they're saying, well, what, what can we do? What do we do as we're watching our countrymen just falling to the ground dead? Here's what it says, number 16. And Moses said to Aaron, quick. Quick, take an incense burner, place burning coals on it from the altar. The altar was where they made the sacrifices. And he says, and lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them, to make them right with the Lord. Go out there and make them right with the Lord again. It says, the Lord's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already begun. Verse 47 says, Aaron did as Moses told him, and he what? He ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense, and he purified, or he made atonement for, or he made the people right with God. He stood. He took a stand between the dead and the living, and says the plague stopped, but not before 14,700 people had died in that plague. I mean, there's a lot of lives lost. And as I thought about it and as I pondered it, and I thought, man, here's a guy who sees, who sees the devastation happening. And what does he do? He, he runs first to the presence of God. He goes back to the place of meeting. And then he, from that place, the place of sacrifice, the place of atonement where sacrifices were made, <laughs> where people became right with God again, he runs from that place and he goes to the people to the people who can't come to him. They the closer they got to the tabernacle, the more the plague was affecting them. And so Aaron runs and he takes a stand in the middle of that plague to bring atonement to the people so that they could be right with God. And I thought, man, what a picture. What a picture of what God would literally do later uh, through Jesus Christ for the whole world. See, because our, our whole world's been experiencing a plague for, for a lot longer than covid There's been a plague that's infected and affected everyone, and it's this thing called sin. It is more deadly than any other disease. It's got a 100% death rate. The wages of sin is death for every single person. You know, God knows that there was, you know, his perfect people. There was no way that sin could ever enter his holy presence again. This was just a picture of it in, uh, in the nation of Israel. But the truth of it, God in, in his holiest place in heaven, there's no way that a sinner could ever enter that. It would be like putting tissue paper you know, in a wood stove. It would just instantly be consumed. There was no way that we could come to him. And he knew it. And he said, you know what, I'm going to go to them instead. And it's just like Aaron leaving the presence of God. Jesus left the very presence of, of God himself in heaven. And he, and he came for people. You know, he came and took a stand. He took a stand between the wrath of a holy God and sinful men. He came and, and took a stand as between the living one and all of the spiritually dead. He hung on a cross and in so doing, took a stand between heaven and earth itself and took the punishment of the world and took the, our punishment. And I think that the, the light of the world 
would shine from that stand of the cross for us. It's a powerful thought. You know, Jesus actually predicted that that was the way he was going to die. And he said, it's, it's on purpose. John, who was one of his earliest followers, he wrote how Jesus told them, John 12, verse 32. He says, when I'm, Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I'm going to draw everyone to myself. And the next verse says he was signifying the way that he would die. But as I was reading that, I thought, man, as Jesus is lifted up on that stand, he says, I'm going to draw people to myself. When I look at that word draw, that means, like, that means impel from within. I'm going to draw. I'm going to lead. I'm going to call. You know what it doesn't say? I'm going to force. I'm going to force people to follow me. I'm going to force people that there's no force at all. There's no control at all. Just that inside drawing, that leading. You know, I got to experience that today with my dog. My dog was at the neighbor's place, and I'm like, man, I got to get that thing home to safety at our house. And I tried calling, and it would come a few steps and then run back. And I tried baiting it with treats. And, but, man, it's so smart. Like, I got to hold the treat with one hand and my hand with the other hand. So when it takes a treat, I can grab it. Nope, sure enough, it knows. And I'm like, okay, fine. After I get so frustrated, I throw the tree at the wall, and, at the treat, not the tree. And then uh, as I'm leaving, I'm like, you can just stay there. You can live with that family forever. And, and, I, and I go home, and I was frustrated. And, you know, I had this thought, this moment, man, I'm so glad he, God's not like that. I'm so glad that he doesn't get frustrated with, with us as people, but that, that there's that drawing, that continual drawing. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you feel God drawing you. Maybe it sounds like the thoughts in your own mind, like I wonder about God. Like, is it real? Is it true? Can I trust him? Will he accept me? Have I gone too far? God, is there hope? Is there more to this life than this life? Can I tell you all those things? It's, it's him. It's, it's him drawing you tonight. You know, Paul was a man who hated Jesus' followers, hated him so much he killed him, hated anything to do with Christ, felt that same drawing of Christ on the inside. And when he met Christ, he, he writes about it this way. He writes the Corinthians in a letter, and he says, you know what? This is what happened. God, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with, with God through him. That same thing, that being made right with God, stuck in the middle of the plague of sin, he says, Christ came for us. Christ ran into that place and stood there for us so we would be made right with him so that the plague would stop in our lives. You know, John, who was an eyewitness follower of Jesus, one of the first disciples, you know, he describes Jesus as the light of the world. We talked about it at Christmas. You know, the light of the world comes in the darkness and we think about, you know, baby Jesus and being that light. But when Jesus grew up and he was talking with his uh, uh, earliest followers, Matthew writes it down in Matthew 5, and he, he says this to them. You know, the light of the world who had drawn people to himself, Matthew 5, he says this. He says to them, you know what? You guys are actually the light of the world. They're like, no, no, you're the light of the world. You're the one we've been waiting for. And he's like, yeah, hold on a second. This light is meant to shine way farther than just right here and right now. He said, you are the light of the whole world. He says, you're like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Verse 15, he says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, that lamp is placed where? On a stand. Because that's where it shines. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In verse 16, he says, in the same way, in the same way that a light shines when it takes the stand, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know, as the days get darker, it matters that the light shines brighter. As the days get darker, it matters that the true light actually shines brighter. You know, like we said, maybe your response has been anger, but 
But let that anger lead you to do good. I saw Toby Mac posted a quote by uh, Martin Luther King, and it said this, Darkness can't drive out darkness. Anger's not going to drive out anger. It just magnifies it. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. I think as Jesus was telling his earliest disciples, he's like, man, let them see your good deeds. Let them see your light. Take a stand. Light the wick. Let people, let the world see as a result. And you know, those words weren't just for the first disciples. They're for the current ones as well. They're for me and they're for you. That he'd say, man, get on the stand. Take a stand intentionally and let your light shine. Let people see. Let people see as a result of your light. You know, the, the idea of light is that it would help people see. Not that it would blind them. Not that it would be shove it down their throats. Just let them see. Let them see. And maybe you're like, well, what do I do? What can I do? You're like the pastor. You're the one who should be, you know, doing this kind of stuff. That might have been, you know, the way we thought before. But it isn't the way it should be. It isn't the way it should be. Maybe you're like, well, what do I do? Let me just give you, you know, when Jesus said, hey, let your good deeds shine before men. It's a pretty simple checklist. Is there a deed that you can do for someone else? Check. Is it good? Check. There you go. There is a good deed that will allow your light to shine. You know, I heard about people doing good deeds this, this past couple of weeks, and, and, and I just, man, I, I'm inspired by it. You know, one woman, she called me and said, Mark, I, I know this, this uh, pregnant girl who could really use some help and needs some, you know, needs some groceries. Can we send her some grocery cards? I'm like, yep, you come and you take it to her. And it was like this chance to just go and shine for, for Christ. You know, there's a man from our church. He heard about this woman who needed car, uh, tires for her car. And he said, hey, can we, can we help with that? I'm like, yes, we can. And so we sent her to, to be able to go get new tires for her car. You know, there was a, a woman in our church who, who knows another lady. She's pregnant. She's, got, she's um, taking care of sick uh, family members. She's like, so this lady just said, uh, we're going to send meals. We're just going to get people to cook meals and send them to her house. And then she asked, hey, can we send grocery cards? I'm like, yes, we can help. Because the truth is, if you see a need that you can't meet, Maybe you see a need, but you don't have the means to meet it. Would you contact us and let us know? We'll, we'll, we'll give it to you. Because as she came to my door and I gave her the cards to go and give to someone else, she's like, well, what do I say? I'm like, you know what? You let Holy Spirit lead your, lead your words. But you go and you do that good deed. I had a young girl. I mean, I think she's maybe eight or nine. She stopped at my house with an envelope. She handed it to me. She's like, I want this to go to help people. And there was $14.50 in it. It was her uh, from her allowance. And I thought, what an awesome way for somebody to say, hey, I just, I want to be able to help. I've seen other things where a young guy just reached out to another young guy on Facebook. His, the, the one guy's marriage is in trouble, and the other guy has been through one of the, the toughest marital things I've ever seen and watched God do a miracle in their lives. And he's like, man, don't give up. Be, just draw close to God and gave him some great advice. I was like, man, these are great ways to take a stand and let your light shine. You know, Jesus said that if salt isn't salty, he says it's worth nothing. If light's hidden, it's actually not doing anything. You know, I so often hear, you know, the the thing of people being non-practicing Christians. You know, I got baptized as a baby or, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm Christian. I'm just not not really practicing right now. Well, the time for non-practicing Christianity is long gone. 
Jesus was saying it's like a city that cannot be hidden. There's no way to, it doesn't matter how hard you try and hide your faith in Christ, it cannot be hidden. Jesus is saying to each of us, as the church, man, it's time to take a stand and it's time to light the wick. Why? Here's the final thought. Jesus said this. He answers actually that question in, in the rest of verse 16. Matthew 5, verse 16, it says this. In the same way, in the same way, he says, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven so that they will see him. He wants people reconnected with their heavenly Father to be right with God. Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, they all write about Jesus' instructions before he goes to heaven. And he says to them, he says, you know, go into all the world. Just like Moses commanded Aaron, go. Just like the Heavenly Father said to Jesus, go. Jesus is saying to us, his disciples, go. Go into all the world and share good news. Share good news. Make disciples of all nations. Start in Jerusalem. Start close to home, but then move out to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, he's, Jesus is telling them, man, I want you guys to continue what I started. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says it this way in verse 2 Corinthians 5.18. He says, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And he says, you know what? He didn't just bring us back to Christ. He says, God's given us this task of reconciling other people to him. It's what he's called us to do. He says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That is the good news. To know that our sins are no longer counted against us, <laughs> that is amazing news. And he says, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are God's ambassadors and God's making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ and we say, come back to God. That's what he's called us as, as the church to do. Because it's, you know what Jesus was saying here? He's like, hey, fellas, I might have started by telling you at the beginning it's about good deeds, but it's not just good deeds. He says this, this thing is, is about good news as well. You're on a mission, and then there's a sense of urgency in his voice that just like Aaron ran to the people, he's saying to his disciples and to us, I want you to go to the people. You know, just like the people couldn't come to the tent anymore, he's like, I want you to go to them. It's the same, uh, we, in the same sense that, that God realized people can't come to me anymore, I'm going to go to them. And as people can't gather in church buildings anymore, people can't come to these church buildings anymore, he's saying, man, I'm sending the church out to go to them, that, that it would light their way, that we would never be uh, hidden in these four walls again. And the challenge to us tonight as the church is don't allow your life, don't allow your light to be hidden you know, I thought this this week that our church services may one day be hidden, but our service to others must never be. Our church services may one day have to be hidden, even in this country, but our service to others must never be because it is, that is the light that shines. You know, Jesus is telling us to run to the world with good deeds and with good news. Not to pedestalize us, not to say, hey, look at what we did, but to simply point to Jesus, to simply point to him. Peter, one of Jesus' followers, said it this way. First Peter 3, he says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, what is that? Good deeds. Even if you suffer for doing good deeds, he says, God's going to reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. In verse 15, instead, he says, you must worship God or Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer... Always be ready to explain it. He's like, don't worry if they persecute you for doing good deeds, but always have and be ready to share good news. Be ready to share good news. You know, I, I asked that question, how would an unbelieving world know that you're a believer? 
How would an unbelieving world around you know that you're a believer? I can tell you that Peter would say, he's like, it's because of your good deeds. It's because you took a stand and you lit the wick. You lit the wick of good deeds. You found a way to, to, to shine. And it'll give the opportunity for you to share good news. You know, the great preacher, John Wesley, he was asked how he got such large crowds of people at his meetings. And he was, he was credited for saying this quote, when you set yourself on fire, people love to come and see you burn. He says, that's why I have such big meetings. Then as I was studying and I found out John Wesley did not say that. Somebody, I, we don't even know who said that. We don't know if anybody said that. So I'm like, great, there's an open quote with no owner. So I adjusted it to say this, and this is my challenge for us as a church. Let's light ourselves on fire with the good news and with good deed so that the world can come and watch us burn and find the one they need. Let's light ourselves on fire with good news and good deed so that the world can come and watch us burn and find the one they need. Man, the challenge tonight is simply this. Find a way to take a stand and light the wick. Find a way to take a stand somewhere and light the wick. I'd encourage you with these final thoughts to just simply run to the presence of God any chance you have. And that's not a place. That's not a church building. That's not just that time with you and him. Just that, that awareness of, of his presence in your life. Incense was a picture of prayer and just spending time praying. Uh, thinking about and, and, and uh, meditating on and reflecting on the good news and how it's affected your life. I, mean, I love that song we sang. Gone. <laughs> Gone, gone, my sin, my shame, it's gone. Reflecting on the goodness of God. Man, I get goosebumps even just thinking about it right now. It brings a smile to my face just to know, man, God, you're good. It doesn't matter what I face. It doesn't matter how dark you are good. It doesn't matter what the enemy's lies or any hate that he wants to try and put in my life. I know that with you, I am good. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that sin's gone. I know that shame has no hold on me anymore. Man, how many people in the dark, need, and could just benefit from that light. And then the challenge is simply this. Find a way to go to your world. Find a way to go to your world. It can happen in many different ways. Start at home. Start with the people right in your, right in your backyard, right in your own home. Start with the people at your work. Maybe somebody at the grocery store. I heard somebody share this, this you know, with me this week. They said, I saw somebody at the grocery store. I don't even know them. But I just felt the Lord prompt on me to just tell them, wow, you know, you, you just need to breathe. As a result, those two made a connection, found that they were both Jesus followers and, and have uh, made a connection as a result of that. Just being led by him. Find, find ways to do something good for someone else that it might open the door for you to share good news with them. Last thought. A buddy of mine sent me this song this week. It's by a guy named Zach Williams. The song's called Less Like Me. It was the first time I heard it this week. It's, if you haven't heard it, take a listen. But he says these lyrics... Somebody with a hurt that I could have helped. Somebody with a hand that I could have held. When I just can't see past myself, oh Lord, help me. Oh Lord, help me. Help me be a little more like mercy. A little more like grace. A little more like kindness, goodness, love, and faith. A little more like patience. A little more like peace. A little more like Jesus. And a little less like me. Man, if that isn't an opportunity to shine, I don't know what is. But may that be our prayer as we go from this place. God, lead us. 
Help us see the opportunities, not so we can just think about them, but that we could actually go and do. That we would say, where do I stand? I'll stand wherever, wherever I can, simply to shine, that they might see good deeds, that they might hear good news, and that they might see Jesus as a result. Are you with me, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm just grateful that you came for us. Jesus, I'm grateful that you took a stand at my place. I'm grateful for the freedom you've brought us. I'm grateful for the hope. I'm grateful for eternity with you. I'm grateful that I know you as Father. I'm grateful that I know you as friend. I'm grateful that I know you as Savior. Lord, tonight, I pray for those who don't know you. They may not be listening to this, but they're going to meet somebody who is. God, I pray, I pray that they would sense your drawing on their heart and that they would respond to you, to the giver of life. God, I pray for the people listening tonight that you, you would do what I can't and just speak to their spirit, to their heart, to their inner man tonight and lead and direct them in the steps that you have for them. Lord, would you inspire them with, with thoughts of deeds that they can do that shine for you. Lord, may we be your church like we've never been before. May the world be lit up because your church has found its way to shine. Jesus, may they see you. May eternity be different because of these times. God, we commit this to you, to your glory and to your praise, because you deserve it all. I ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for taking some time just to listen tonight, today, whatever it may be for you. <laughs> we always have a few discussion questions we encourage you to take a, a, a look at and, and to ponder. And, and if you have a chance to, you know, hop on a phone call with somebody or you're in one of our small group services, that you'd have a chance to uh, just mull these things over and ask God, what do you, what do you want uh, me to do with this? And so here they are, a couple quick things as you're thinking about how would you describe the darkness in the world today? Because I think the way we see the darkness, we see it specifically for a reason that he wants us to see things so that those will be the areas we reach out to make a difference in. So how would you describe the darkness in the world today? And secondly, have you ever seen a good deed open the door for conversation about Jesus? Have you ever seen that happen before? And what did it look like? And encourage others with that because it gives them ideas on what they could do. Uh, uh, third, can you think of one way to take a stand and shine this week? Maybe you haven't seen it done before, but you're like, yes, you know what? Somebody came to mind and, and uh, I know that they could sure use this. Or I know someone who needs help. I just didn't know how to help them. But I'll call or text Mark and, and get whatever gift cards or whatever because I want to go and meet that need. What is that? And then finally, what do you think God's telling you today? I have things I feel like he's putting on my heart. What's he telling you today? Because this connection, there was no longer any other person that needed to stand between you and God. It was just simply you and him, listening for his voice and courageously obeying it. So tonight, tonight, I just leave you with those thoughts. Would you go out, take a stand, and light the wick? We'll see you next week.